1: Welcome into the Talking Tide Podcast once again on the Belly Up Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News, joined by Travis Ryder, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. You can get the Talking Tide Podcast on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you prefer to get your podcasts. Uh, and as well, catch us on Twitter as well. The handle on Twitter is Talking underscore Tide. You get links to all of our podcasts right away on that Twitter feed. So give us a follow. Give us a like. Give us subscribe. Give us all of that. And we will take you through this Alabama 2023 football season like no other. Now, Peter Brook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, of course, is our fine sponsor. We'll touch on Peter Brook a little bit later in the program. But first, Travis Fall camp for Alabama underway with a bang. We had fan day. We had media day. Uh, back to back, Saturday, Sunday. Used to kind of combine those. Uh, and then I guess that post-COVID, it kind of went away for a little bit, or at least the fan day part of it did. Uh, and now they kind of coalesce uh, onto a into a full weekend. I kind of like the way they've got it split up. I wouldn't mind if, if uh, Nick Saban decided to, kind of keep it that way but of course Saturday was an open practice Uh, a few thousand Alabama fans showed up for that and I I expected a little bit bigger crowd although I'm sure the heat had something to do with that Uh, I've been blazing hot in Tuscaloosa for weeks now uh, with the exception of a little bit of rain here and there Uh, and of course on media day Sunday Tommy Reese the new offensive coordinator and Kevin Steele The semi-new defensive coordinator, third time around for Kevin Steele, uh, spoke
0: to reporters along with Nick Saban. So plenty to get to and all that for sure. Yeah, I I think uh, breaking it up has got to be a good thing. Uh, Remember those media days, right? It seemed like they were typically on Sundays too when they previously had fan day with the open practice and the media day. Uh, you would do the media day thing in the morning, go over to Bryant-Denny Stadium. A few players would be made available. You'd have that team photo shoot on that same day. I think that happened today, uh, too, as well, uh, or this weekend. Sure did. Sure. So, a lot. You know, and the, the media types, they used to like to, between the uh, between the media availability at Bryant-Denny and the start of the fan day practice – a lot of the folks like to go that Ramajamas and cheeseburger up. Remember that they go yes. in that interim there, uh, load up on some Ramajama, wobble back over to Bryant Denny, take in that. It was though; it was a long day, and so I'm I'm with you. Break it up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The only thing missing, of course, is. Uh, the media doesn't get 40 or 50 players in the end zone on media day like they used to. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that coming back. Uh, that, that's, that was a fine free-for-all once a year. Uh, gone, I'm afraid, and and gone forever. I remember in 07, my, my first year covering the beat with you at Bama Online, I walked out there and introduced myself to Nick Saban for the first time because, of course, I just started covering the team at the time. And he and I were talking a little bit about a guy named Amp Hill, who was a wide receiver Mm -hmm. uh, from Jacksonville, Florida, our stopping grounds who Saban had signed at LSU. He was a big-time recruit. I believe he was at First Coast High School down in Jacksonville and uh, ended up getting hurt and and didn't get very far with his college career, unfortunately. But, yeah, Saban was telling me about – the circumstances under which he blew out his knee and, mm. and essentially, uh, his, his career was, uh, 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 you know, messed up from that point on, but he demonstrated physically, uh, ah. exactly what happened. I kind of leaned into my knee, you know, trying to explain to me what happened to Amp, Oh, and like, I got it coach. I got
0: it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. He, he figured he maybe have a two for one there, you know, tell yeah. you the story, but also take you out for That's a few weeks right. as a media type. So, <laughs> Yeah. A, a lot of rolling for block sure. there. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, uh, of course
1: uh fan day uh, happened on Saturday fans after practice got a chance to uh, get those autographs, several hundred lining up as always, Nick Saban, as always uh, the long line for sure uh, for autographs, but an open practice before that, Travis, uh, a little bit to see for sure. It was nice to see, who was getting maybe more reps than somebody else. Uh, but in terms of being able to glean much, in terms of you know what the lineup might look like in four weeks when Alabama kicks off against Middle Tennessee State, I didn't find it particularly revealing. Uh, it's early in fall camp for sure. Uh, saw the quarterbacks make a few throws, make a few head-scratcher throws, kind of like we saw on A-Day, uh, yeah. not much different there. Uh, but but it was interesting to to kind of uh, keep an eye on who was mixing in with the first group, and of course on both sides of the ball, it's a lot more than just eleven guys getting action.
0: Yeah, I always liked the uh, open practice as much to see individually how much certain guys had progressed throughout the offseason, even from the A scrimmage to that uh, that open practice. So. Uh, I'm sure that was a big part of Saturday. I know that was something that you were looking at. The quarterback position, you know, it is so early in camp that it's, it's really difficult, I think, at just about any position um, to make a lot out of pecking orders. I think, you know, there are some situations, even with the first day of camp, uh, in the practice footage that was made available by Alabama, you were able to pick up on some things. Maybe some guys that were a little bit hobbled Uh, Going into fall camp, maybe some positions of note where you thought there could be competition, but they didn't really come out of spring that way. But then you look at the offensive guard position on the left side and there's Terrence Ferguson uh, apparently battling with Darian Dahlcourt now. So you got more on that left side than just the tackle position. So it was able to pick up a few things through the first three, four days of camp. But I think Nick Saban said it um, too on Sunday during his – uh, media availability that just talking about the quarterback position, how that thing is, as we've kind of anticipated. I think most people have is a situation that, that may not have itself cleared up going into middle Tennessee and who knows coming out of middle Tennessee, if it will.
1: No doubt. You know, Nick Saban did mention uh, where quarterbacks are concerned that Tyler Buckner, the transfer from Notre Dame, uh, his head, I'm paraphrasing Saban here, but it sounds like he's, his, he's still swimming a little bit in his head in terms of terminology and things mm-hmm. like that, which is completely to be expected because he didn't go through spring practice. He mm-hmm. didn't transfer until after A-Day, very shortly after A-Day, as a matter of fact. And so uh, totally makes sense that, that he's got a little bit of a catch-up uh, period ahead of him in fall camp. Um, Inside linebacker was another area of note. Seemed to me like Deontay Lawson, who's the veteran in in that group now, uh, and Jihad Campbell and Tresman Marshall, those three uh, seem to command uh, a lion's share of the reps with the ones. And we've seen this before with Nick Saban uh, through the years. He likes to find three he can count on at those two spots, preferably – uh, at least one of the three uh, with an ability to play both spots and, and away we go. And sometimes it's a, a situational platoon type thing, right? Like we used to see with Nico Johnson and, and a young CJ Mosley, for instance. Um, so, you know, who knows what will happen in there, but those three at inside linebacker, at least for now, looks like they're, they're getting uh, most of the action.
0: Yeah, time in the system matters, right? And I think early on in a camp, Uh, When you're able to to watch or back when there were media viewing periods, that was sort of the way things worked or have worked under Nick Saban. Typically, the veterans, the guys with the experience in the systems, offensively, defensively, special teams are first guys up, and then they sort of go from there. They try to get themselves aligned in a way going into this first scrimmage where coming out of it, they can truly make some evaluations, and then – you can make maybe some more uh, definitive statements about the direction that certain position battles are are taking. The uh, first three or four days, they are repping in so many guys, young guys, veterans, trying to get everybody acclimated during that period uh, that it, it's hard to make a lot out of. But once we get beyond this next practice at Bryant-Denny Stadium, that's when I think you'll be able to, to do a little more of that.
1: Yeah, things get winnowed down when you talk about scrimmages, no doubt about it. Alabama's uh, uh, first scrimmage, I guess, will be next Saturday, and then the following uh, the following Saturday uh, would be scrimmage number two, and presumably uh, that's that'd be the red elephant scrimmage. I think the second one is is usually the the one that uh, uh, that the canaries get to attend. So always look forward to that for sure. Uh, but you're right. You know, it, it, you got to be careful about what you uh, think about what you see and don't see in, in an early practice like this. You know, you noted that left guard spot with Ferguson and Dalcourt working on Saturday. What I took from that more than what's happening at left guard is what's happening at center, right? I mean, yeah. McLaughlin seems to be the guy at oh, center is, at this yeah. point in the spring. Uh, that, it, it, Dalcourt was was. Uh, in competition, I think, with McLaughlin at that spot. Seems now, and a lot could change. Again, as we noted, it's early. That caveat uh, goes without saying throughout the the podcast here this evening. Uh, But for now, anyway, seems like McLaughlin's nailed down that center spot and Dalcourt's battle to play is at the guard spot.
0: Yeah, and for Dalcourt, it's a struggle because we know what they want to be or we think we know what they want to be offensively. Uh, this season, and that's a powerful, uh, run first football team and not the dial a small guy. Uh, McLaughlin, isn't a small guy, but in terms of horsepower right there in the interior of that offensive line, you know, Tyler Booker is going to give you some of that at right guard. Right. Um, Seth can, can be enough. I think at the center position, uh, but if you, you know, you start thinking about a trio, uh, I'm guessing that if you're Eric Wolford, you you want to ramp up the horsepower at left guard, too. And that's where Ferguson, when you look at him, Chase, he's more along the lines of that classic body type of a Chance Warmack or a Lester Cotton, that type of player at the guard position. That if we're going right. to be a one cut direct runs more so than we've been certainly last year, that's more the kind of guy. Not that it won't be Delcourt, but. I think there's uh, certainly some reason to think that that that's the the process involved here when you look at the personnel.
1: Felt a little bad for the uh, young freshman defensive back, Tony Mitchell. Caught the ire of Nick Saban a few times throughout the practice and, and you, know, you look at a situation like that where a guy has been suspended or, or maybe in another case, maybe it's a guy who, who doesn't graduate, and you know, uh, early and doesn't enroll early and is just kind of getting a late start compared to most of the class. Nick Saban's going to seek those guys out and try to ramp up the learning curve a little bit for some of those young guys. And, and, uh, he had a close eye on Tony Mitchell uh, during drills for sure. And it should come as no surprise, Travis, because secondary is another spot, uh, particularly at the safety position where Alabama is working with new faces.
0: And it's kind of a double whammy. It's good news, bad news for Tony Mitchell. He, you're getting coached up by Nick Saban. You're still in the program after his issue uh, off the field. But the reason why you're probably behind is because what happened in the spring kept you out of spring practice. So you That's think right. Nick's reminding him of that every time he's getting after him? Well, if you'd have been it, if you could have practiced in the spring, you know, it wouldn't have been. We as could much have been through this in March. Right? Or uh, April, Nick yes. wouldn't do that. Nah, Nick. Just positive reinforcement. No, but I mean, in all seriousness, no, no. Tony Mitchell can can be as good as, as he wants to be. Um, can it be as early as this season? That would surprise me, uh, but absolutely, when you look at that safety position, and based on the feedback from the open practice, Devonta Smith in there uh, with the ones, I guess, a good bit, and Malachi Moore working at Star, and we go back to what we just talked about, though. They are working a lot of guys in yes. a lot of spots right now. Saw a and lot so, of Trey
1: Amos as yeah.
0: well. The I, and, I, and I like Trey Amos a lot. I've been on the Trey Amos train uh, since they since they brought him in from the portal because I did a little background on him, went and watched some of Louisiana's games last year, really the independence bowl because tank Dell, the wide receiver for the university of Houston, you know, is in the NFL now. And if Mm -hmm. you go back and watch that game, uh, Trey Amos, I think gave up a little slant for a touchdown to Dell. But other than that, I think Dell had six catches for 44 yards. So, this was a guy for me when I watched him, especially in man coverage, which is, for me, the biggest question about Terry and Arnold at corner. Can Mm -hmm. he really play man coverage at the level that you have to be able to do it in that defense? Watching Trey Amos, Trey Amos can play some man coverage. So, uh, I would absolutely expect him to be right there in that mix.
1: Media day on Sunday, Kevin Steele, Tommy Reese took the podium after Nick Saban. Kevin Steele, pretty measured in his words, for sure, like you would expect with a uh, a sixty five year old coach who's on his third run with Nick Saban now, no doubt about that. Uh, but probably the most mot- notable thing he, I, I thought that he that he said was just how coachable his players are on that side of the ball, and and you know they're fairly young, they're dealing with a new coordinator, he's dealing with new players, and 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 you know. You expect that to some extent, uh, but it's good to hear for sure from Kevin Steele. Uh, first thing out of his mouth, really, on Sunday morning, uh, was that these guys have an attentive ear and 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 they're looking to they're looking to get better as as fast as they possibly can.
0: I thought it was interesting the contrast between Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele in terms of the ad- adaptation that each of those guys had to make coming into Alabama. A lot smoother for Kevin Steele. As he said during his comments on Sunday, pretty much about 80% of the terminology or the verbiage was what he was already using because of his background, not only in that system, but with Nick. Whereas for Tommy Reese, I think conceptually there's some things that line up between what he was doing at Notre Dame and what uh, Alabama has done. Uh, but entirely different terminology and how he had to go through that. And, you know, I've talked about it before. That trickles right down to Buckner. You know, you think, well, Buckner's coming in with Reese. They, they, they'll click. Well, they probably do in terms of how they communicate. But even Buckner's having to make that transition with the terminology and everything that goes with it. So, um, yeah, but still was, I think, what you would expect with his background with Nick. Uh, Reese was solid, but you know, you weren't going to, you weren't going to get too many revelations from him either.
1: Yeah. He's only 31. He's one of the youngest coordinators in the game. He looks even younger than that. He looks about 27. There's, there's not a gray hair on the guy. Uh, will be soon. There, there will be soon. He's coaching at Alabama, but, uh, you know, uh, if, if you threw sunglasses on him and asked him to go shag balls and nobody knew any, he did, you'd think he was a GA. That's how young he looks.
0: Hey, I, I. I think he is the doppelganger of Scotty Scheffler, the PGA tour golfer. Next time you see Scotty Scheffler, uh, and you, and you kind of see Tommy Reese that to me, they, they look almost identical, but you know, I watch a lot of pro golf, so you do I may have something to do with it. A hundred
1: percent more than me. that's for sure.
0: <laughs> You'll trust me on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I okay. stipulate, I'll stipulate, uh, I'll stipulate uh, over uh, here
1: uh, 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 on that, but yeah, Tommy Reese, uh, uh, what's interesting though, is. Travis and, and I wrote about this uh, earlier today for a guy as young as Tommy Reese is. And for a guy who essentially grew up in an era of college football, where the spread absolutely took over, you'd think he'd be coming in here, guns blazing and airing it out. It's just the opposite. Um, and, and it comes from two things. One, he's the son of a coach who's an old school coach. Mm-hmm. And two, he played for Brian Kelly in a traditional offense at Notre Dame. You put those two things together and you understand uh, why Tommy Reese is, is uh, really, he's all about that offensive line, all about it. I mean, every time he's, you know, it's not the first time he's talked today. I know it's the first time he's done a press conference in front of the media pool. Uh, but he, he if you go back and listen to him when he was at Notre Dame, the offensive line came first for him. And, uh, you know, it's, it's frankly refreshing. And with Alabama being pretty darn solid at that running back position, it, it, it might, you know, that running game might have to uh, be a, a major part of this offense. We'll see where it goes with quarterback. Uh, but it might be good. What I'm saying is, it might be really good timing to bring in a guy like Reese at a point where you're transitioning to an inexperienced guy at the quarterback spot.
0: Yeah, I think Nick Saban's always thinking of ways that he can mesh a new hire with his returning personnel. And absolutely, I believe that Nick Saban, in making this hire, this latest hire at the offensive coordinator position, um, had these guys that he was counting on coming back uh, very much in mind in terms of just strengths and weaknesses on the offensive side of the ball and i think they do match up well uh with reese's background it's interesting you know his time under brian kelly brian kelly goes to lsu and now in his first year or in his first year we're seeing lsu go with some tempo which you didn't ever really see from kelly at notre dame methodical uh, i think the best way to describe it so that has been reese's background but um Impressive young guy. Uh, you know, I thought what Kevin Steele said about Tommy Reese was, uh, you know, interesting, maybe the most interesting comments from Kevin Steele all morning were about Tommy Reese in terms of, uh, his toughness and his background as a Chicago guy and, uh, playing at Notre Dame and in his upbringing and, um, you know, I, there, there's some regions of this country that will hang on. And knowing his
1: dad. He knew his dad, yeah. for Pete's sake. Yeah, yeah. Hang,
0: hanging Blue. on to <laughs> traditional offensive football as long as possible. And, and that that Midwest and upper Midwest, I, I think there's some places up there that are still trying to do it. Talking Tide Podcast on the
1: Belly Up Podcast Network moving on. Peter Brook, Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, our
0: fine sponsor. Travis, tell us a little more about him. Peterbrook Chocolatier, right out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa, entering its 17th football season, just like mm. Nick Saban, right? And uh, Tuscaloosa, Peterbrook Chocolatier is. And a pretty good record for both, I'd say, since the doors open at Peterbrook back in 2007. Get by there, check them out. Great, great stuff. Those hand dipped chocolate strawberries are a daily favorite at Peterbrook Chocolatier, and a big reason why is exactly what I said. They're hand-dipped daily, fresh strawberries, hand-dipped dark chocolate, milk chocolate, white chocolate. You can get them accessorized, custom-made, ready for you any time of the day, 10 to 8, Monday through Saturday, they're open there at Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard, north in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa.
1: All right Peter Brook Chocolatier, our fine sponsor for sure get over there and check them out. In the last couple of minutes of the program we're gonna pull one out of the tumbler, and then we're gonna <laughs> and then we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, the pack 12. I guess they can't call in pack 12 anymore. We'll get to that in just a second, but first Travis. to the tumbler we go. See who pops out today tonight out of that tumbler there we go there's one one and only one we'll just do one tonight out of that tumbler and what we have here uh is number 98 Jamil Burroughs let me get another number out of the tumbler travis i did not remove yeah, Jamil yeah. from the tumbler when at, upon the the tumbler Do we spur, have a transfer portal tumbler
0: yeah <laughs> a separate tumbler these days <laughs>
1: yeah one more whirl. let's see <laughs>
0: portal tumbler. Yeah. One, one (laughs) Alabama mafia watching here in the chat. Uh, appreciate that one Alabama mafia. He says, roll tide guys. Great work as usual. We appreciate you. What do you got? Good bread.
1: Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's see what we got. We got number 84, Amari Niblack, the young tight end who got a little Mm -hmm. bit of action for the Crimson Tide last season pretty good timing for him I think coming in with a, a new offensive coordinator and Tommy Reese Travis who certainly has a, a full appreciation for the tight end position uh, and Reese commented today that, that the tight end room has got all kinds of different body types in it big guys, heavier mm-hmm. guys, stronger guys, smaller and quicker guys Niblock would pr- probably fall toward the uh, the more athletic and lighter end of the spectrum uh in that regard but uh uh, what do you think about where his career is headed
0: yeah it's going to be interesting with the pairings and kind of the the way that they complement each other typically you're going to have that bigger uh inline guy a guy like a danny lewis a guy like cj dupree that can do both uh nye black is still physically i think getting to the point where he can do more of that hand in the ground stuff but even the um you know, even the off-the-ball guy, there's a physicality involved with that because they'll run split zone and bring that guy across the formation, and he's got a you know, kind of stone wall, a defensive end, or an outside linebacker. They'll insert the tight end into the interior run game. So just because you're not the in-line guy doesn't mean you catch a break from a blocking perspective. But, boy, Nye Black, uh, you're right, athletic, uh, kind of in that O.J. Howard mode maybe a little bit. Um, looks like he's had a really good off season, just checking out some of the footage, uh, from the first couple of days of, of fall camp. He's made some nice strides and again, he needed to, but, uh, he definitely brings that element where you can flex him out. Uh, you can do some different things that give you some schematic and, uh, personnel, uh, flexibility and versatility, uh, when it comes to that position. Yeah, from a scouting perspective, I, I think when Alabama is
1: doing its look-aheads at opponents, if you if you can identify uh, a safety or an outside linebacker who regularly struggles in, in man coverage uh, in the tapes you see leading up to your game, uh, that, that Niblack could be the guy to just flex out and see if you can exploit
0: that a little bit. And,
1: you know, there are going to be weeks where that doesn't happen. There are going to be weeks where it will.
0: Yeah, and, and I think Nick Saban's been pretty consistent in pointing to that uh, when he's brought up uh, uh, Amar- Namari. So it's it's a situation where uh, they feel good about the different kinds of guys they have, no doubt about that. Uh, and Nye Black is, is certainly a, a, a matchup problem for some defenses, uh, depending on how they use them. And you're right. I mean, Reese has an extensive background with the position. Just look at Michael Mayer last couple of years at Notre Dame. Um, so I, I think that room was probably happier than maybe any other on the offensive side of the ball uh when it was announced that Reese was coming on board. Toasts all around, I would imagine, in that tight end room, no doubt about
1: it. All right, before we get out of here, Travis, a real quick look at conference realignment around college football. In the last couple of days, we've seen the complete disintegration really of the Pac 12 conference. Uh, Just to recap for anyone who's been living under a rock, uh, you've now got Oregon and Washington headed to the Big Ten. You've now got Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and previously Colorado bound for the Big 12. It leaves Stanford, Cal, Washington State, and Oregon State uh, looking around at each other in a pretty small room wondering what they ought to do.
0: Yeah, and I know Nick on Sunday was asked about some comments, I guess, by Eli Drinkwitz and, you know, how all of this is just disintegrating the uh, the rivalries and some of the traditions of of college football. But, and and I get that, but you know, he also got me to thinking, chase when it comes to rivalries that truly captivate college football fans around the country, how many are there really now? I mean, really, that if you're just a college football fan, let's say in Fresno, California, with no ties to any school or a school east of the West Coast, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Auburn—I mean, I'm talking about rivalries where the the cliche—you can throw the record books out the windows, uh, out the window. People right. are still going to watch this game. People are going to watch Alabama Auburn pretty much every year. People are going to watch Ohio State-Michigan. What what other are there right now? I mean, all due respect yeah. to Oklahoma State, okay, and Bedlam. And I know in that area of the country, it's it's been massive, OU Oklahoma State. But if I asked you and said, okay, I'm going to give you some options for an Oklahoma opponent this season, you can have either Oklahoma State, possibly Georgia, possibly Alabama, or possibly LSU – where would Oklahoma State rank on that list for you as far they as wouldn't. possible? Right. They'd be at the bottom. Yeah. Right. You know?
1: And, yeah, and no doubt a, about
0: it. I I I feel for folks that really are invested in that rivalry, it is sad. Um, but you know what else? Realignment's doing realignment's helping resume some rivalries. We weren't getting Texas, Texas A and M until this happened. We weren't getting that one fired back up. So there's the other right. side of it too
1: that's part of it too there's no doubt about it and, and i think when you're look when you when you look at the travel demands on sports other than football that we cross-country flights that that's something that they're Donald gonna have President's, to
0: regionalize it they're gonna have yeah. to regionalize that within conferences i because i'm with you I, I, that's the problem isn't it there's no doubt. And you know that better than anybody because you've
1: got a daughter that was a, that was a college athlete at the University of Hawaii yeah. who had to travel like crazy to fill out a schedule.
0: Yeah, Tra- leave the island on Tuesday, play play games in L.A. on Thursday and Saturday, and then yeah. hopefully get back to the island Sunday night. Yeah, it, yeah, Hawaii says cry me a river, okay, when it comes to stuff <laughs> like that. No
1: doubt about it. It's gonna crazy. Uh, it's crazy. I, t- I had to chuckle too, Travis. Before we get out of here, when I saw that um, sources indicate that power f- the Power Five uh, administrative structure might want to readdress the CFP format of six conference champions and
0: six at large. <laughs> I mean, kids. what now that this, there is no pack, pack. four? Well, you're gonna you're gonna take I, the pack four champ? Yeah. Is the Hawaii president, University of Hawaii president referred to it now on official yeah. university letterhead? <laughs> the Pac-4, he called it.
1: Stanford's going to say, hey, we were 3-0 and in the league. Put us in.
0: Right. Stanford's looking at the Big Ten like, hey, you guys like the academic schools, right? Right. <laughs> Bring us a little brocal in. We got this. Unbelievable. By I the feel time really we read bad them- for Washington State and Oregon State, man, because they lost their – They lost – maybe they – I guess they can still play, but they are adrift up there in the Pacific Northwest right now.
1: I think the Mountain West is going to look to maybe absorb those. Who knows? I know. uh, It's a a mess. There's no doubt about it. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast on the Belly Up Podcast Network. Be sure to join us next weekend when we reconvene right here on Talking Tide.